It was when I was recording this edition of Toby Haydock's Who's Round that I turned round and discovered they were all wearing eye patches. Well, we've just had afternoon tea. This is most civilised, and we're in the centre of London, and we're two of four people. So I've got a secret hideaway that we're not going to give away. You can't come here. But uh, I'm with somebody who's going to tell me who she is and why I'm talking to her about Doctor Who. Oh, hello. (laughs) Uh, I'm Emma, uh, Emma Campbell-Jones, and I played two characters in Doctor Who, um, Doctor Kent... He was in The Wedding of Riverside uh, with Matt Smith's Doctor mm. and Cass, who was in The Night of the Doctor with uh, Paul McGann's Doctor. So I've had the best of both worlds, literally. <laughs> you have, you have. And we met at a, at a convention, so you, you know, you haven't just, you're not one of those who's just done the job and then sort of left the world of Doctor Who behind. It still sort of hangs over you. Yeah, hangs over me. It sounds such a negative thing. It's been wonderfully positive. Got to go to LA, which was marvellous, and to New York, um, which I thoroughly loved, um, and to meet lots of incredibly lovely people, actually. Um, I was very timid about the whole thing at first. Uh, not very good at it, I think. I think people came up to say hello to me, and I was a bit shy, actually. Um, but I've, I've been learning from the people that, that do these shows quite often about about how, how to be better at, at all of that. And actually, it's a really lovely exchange. It's a lovely thing that they do, you know. It's, um, it's just a very generous, a mutually generous time that people are spending together. I was really impressed and very touched by, by the whole experience, by both of them, Gally One and Eli Hu. It was really, yeah, a lot of lovely people come. I like being around people that have just a, a brazen passion for things. You know? But was it what you expected, or had you expected to be a bit more anarchy and <laughs> sad, for want of a better word? I have been told that, but that's absolutely not true. It was um, everyone was looking splendid, <laughs> especially at Galley One, uh, which is much bigger, I suppose. Um, but yeah, Li Two as well. They just um, they really go to town with their with their costumes, and they look fantastic. They look absolutely brilliant, and they have all kinds of stories. They tell you all about how they made it, and they tell you all about the character that they are. And um, I feel educated now <laughs> about the world of Doctor Who, and I didn't before, but now I well, to an extent, obviously, being involved in that, I knew that much. But I feel like I know a lot more just from meeting the fans who, who love it as much as they do. It's incredible. You'll never leave. <laughs> uh, so how did it all begin? How did Dr Kent come into your life? Mm-hmm. Dr Kent, um, I, just, I just auditioned for that. I not long before worked with um, the producer, Marcus Wilson, on Taggart, um, which was really fun. And actually, um, there were quite a few actors in that season, uh, Neve being one of them, who were in that season of Taggart. Uh, which is really nice. It's nice to know that when you work with people, you can be brought back. Absolutely. <laughs> oh, our, our tea's arrived. Um, you'd worked with Marcus Wilson, so you had to audition, though, for Dr. Kent. I did, yeah. Um, and so when you're auditioning for something like Doctor Who, how long was the wait? Was it, was it a job that is, I suppose at that time, it wasn't more exciting than any other job? 
Yeah, I mean, I, I had seen a few of them, but not very many. I used to watch it when I was a lot younger. Um, I, was, I was a big old fan of Tom Baker and, um, and Peter Saberson. But then I, I kind of, sadly, I missed a lot of Sylve's stuff. Um, I'd love to watch a bit more of it, actually. But I, um, I don't know, I suppose I had different interests at the time. Something pulled me away. And, um, I think you're being very kind and, yeah. and, and not saying that you grew out of it like, <laughs> like some of us didn't, but that's OK. Um, but it was, I caught a couple of the more modern ones. I, I saw David Tennant, two of David Tennant's, I think, and one of Chris Eccleston's. Uh, but the, other than that, I hadn't seen any at all. So it was kind of nice actually being able to do that job without knowing any of the current cast and it all being quite new and and uh, yeah a bit of, yeah just audition for that and just um, I had I just I watched a little a, a bit of one episode I think before the audition just to see the kind of level of where I needed to pitch it so I really went in and gave it some you know end of the world Armageddon type acting. And, uh, and, and got it, yeah, which was lovely. I, heard, I think I heard a couple of weeks later. I was very excited. I thought, this is a nice family to be part of. I remember thinking that really early on, what a nice family to be part of, but I really didn't have a concept of just what that meant. And actually, it really is a family that you never leave once you're part of it, which is extraordinary. I had no idea uh, that, that it would continue on in, in, in the way that it has. Very lucky, actually. Well, I know other actors hate it when actors say the word lucky, but it, it is. It's good fortune. It's a happy um, merging of being available at the right time for certain... You know what I mean? So that's, that in itself is good fortune, you know. Um, yeah. it, was, it, was a, it was a joyful time, apart from the fact that I was kind of lying face down in the sand for, this, <laughs> for half of the second day, just because my character dies yes. and... Uh, and uh, uh, just in case they saw me dead, I sort of had to lie there for an extraordinarily long time. Thankfully, I have a reasonably good sense of humour, so I was able to <laughs> coast that one out quite easily. You could demand a body double. <laughs> could somebody else do the lying down for me? Yeah, no, no, no. Had to be me. So you say, it's interesting you say a couple of days, because obviously listeners to this podcast are used to me interviewing actors from back in the day in Doctor Who, where you did a week's rehearsal. Uh, and you really got to know the family, you know, and you lived out of each other. If you were doing four episodes, you worked together for a month, and you would occasionally, you know, you'd go on location and stay in hotels, but you were there for, what, two days? Uh, it was two days filming, that's right, with um, The Wedding of River Song, and actually the same with The Night of the Doctor, just two days, that was it. Uh, um, with The Night of the Doctor, we spent the whole of the first day in the cave, and then the second day was the, was the spaceship, and all the explosions and exciting stuff. But, um, so how did that come about, Night of the Doctor? So you've been in Doctor Who, you've died, you must have thought, died, well, that's it for that's me it. for Doctor Who. Yeah. Uh, that, um, I just got a call one day from my agent and they said, um, uh, a straight offer has come through on Doctor Who, um, but it's not part of the main show, it's like a sort of separate little thing. And I said, what do you, what, what do you mean? Because I didn't really understand the concept of mini-sodes or whatever. I said, oh, it's, it's going to be online, it's going to be on the DVD and red button. And I went, okay. Uh, yeah, I mean, I'd love to go back and work with them all. And, um, and I didn't know the doc... It was what they said rather cryptically in the email was, it'll be with a doctor. And I thought, a doctor? Well, well, so not the current one? And I was thinking, this is interesting. And then I thought, well, of course, because you've got the 50th coming up. It, it could be any one of them, actually. How exciting. And I went, yeah, yeah, sign me up. I'll do it. 
And, um, and of course, I looked at the script and I thought, how often does, does Jones get to play a space pilot? I'm definitely going to do that. Uh, it was just a bit of fun. I thought, you know, great, sign me up to that. And then um, Alice uh, and his assistant sent through an email um, with this drum roll, please, with all of these chevrons down the email. And I remember scrolling down going, God, this is taking ages to scroll down. And then it had Paul McGann in exclamation mark, you know, capitals, exclamation mark. And it, I was genuinely surprised. I don't know why I never expected it to be him. Did but you I know was, he'd been a doctor? I, I knew he'd been a doctor, yeah, but I, I knew that it was not part of the main series. Um, but yeah, I was, I was fierce excited because I'm a bit of a withnill geek. And, yeah. um, and actually, I was the one that, that, that uh, insisted that my school library at Central had uh, a copy of the um, of uh, Withland and I. I couldn't believe they didn't, because it was written and directed by an ex-Central student. And I was like, you have to have Withland and I in our school library. Are you mad? And, uh, and of course, and, and, you know, so they had it there. And so for that reason alone, I was like, God, that's fantastic. Uh, and was looking forward to it immensely. And... Um, it was just really, it was fun. It was very, we, we came down on the first day, had a bit of a read-through in, in the offices. It was a laugh. Made so, I can't even remember the context of the joke, but there was some kind of mishearing. And uh, Paul says something about um, the cave being like a Best Western Hotel. I can't remember. He'll have to tell you exactly what it was. Maybe he can't remember as well. But it was really funny. Everyone was falling about laughing. And when we turned up on set the next day, the arts department had actually got a logo from a Best Western Hotel and put it on the south side of the cave, which I just thought was a touch of brilliance. It was really good. And you must have therefore been sworn to secrecy because this, this I mean, we didn't know about this until it, it came. In fact, it was a surprise for everybody except me because I was working at the BBC that day. So um, I was. Uh, I knew there was a minisode coming out. Yeah. I thought, well, I will save myself for that evening. And Phil Padgett, who is a comedian who listens to this podcast, sent me a text saying, OMG McGann, <laughs> which, of course, ah. meant, oh, well, that's... That's given that away. Thanks very much. But for everybody oh, no. else, you've clearly kept it. A, so you, I mean, had you been told to keep it a secret? Were you aware oh, yeah. that this was going to be, you know, a big thing when it actually happened? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I think we had to sign something as well, as far as I remember, some kind of confidentiality agreement. Um, but yeah, no, it was definitely impressed upon us that we had to keep it very secret. Um, and I'm really impressed. I think we did really well, um, really well. Because, you know, especially from, I mean, I think it's probably easier for, for Paul to keep secrets because he's had a much more kind of exciting life and he can do all of that stuff. But for me, it was such a huge deal getting to work with him and to do that. I wanted to tell the world. I was like, oh, just bursting to tell everybody. And I, I couldn't. And she did really, I mean, friends of mine are slightly cross that I didn't tip them the wink about it because I was that shtum about it. They really didn't know. I was quite proud of myself yeah, for that, Yeah, good for you. Yeah. Because I'm sure the temptation is huge. Oh, no, it was. It was. I slightly alluded to being involved with it, you know, in, but only in meetings when they were asking me what have I been doing lately. I was going, well, I've been, you know, it's been something quite exciting that's going to be coming out quite soon, and uh, that's about as much as oh, I can but tell you. Isn't that better, though, as well? Going, <laughs> yeah. uh, well, there's something, but I can't tell you. Really. Yeah. I I it suddenly puts you in, in, in uh, status-wise, you're suddenly above them, aren't you? Well, I don't know about above anyone, but yeah, it was quite fun. It's quite delicious having a secret that's yeah. quite exciting. I know. think that makes you more 
more of a prospect. <laughs> mystery is good currency. I mystery think, is case. good currency. I think so too. I'm going to change my name to Mr. X. Um, <laughs> so, well, look, let's leave the title behind. What's it all about, Emma? So, how, you, you've mentioned Central. So, so you, you, you trained at the Central School of Speech and Drama. What had got you to that point? You'd, you'd had quite an eclectic childhood, hadn't you? Yes. So, tell me about yeah. your lead up to the profession and if it was always going to be that you would tread the boards. Um, uh, I can't really remember ever wanting to do anything else uh, than this, ever. And, and I think a lot of actors say that as well, because it's true. <laughs> it's something that you, you just have an idea about quite early on, and that's what you're going to do, and that's that, you know. And, um, and it was. I mean, I, my family were always moving around places. We often lived right in the middle of nowhere. Uh, we lived in New Zealand, right in the middle of nowhere. We lived in the borders of Scotland, right in the middle of nowhere. No TV reception, you know, all of that. So I did a lot of stuff to keep myself occupied, writing plays or just, you know, acting stuff out from Gone with the Wind. You know, I was really... <laughs> or Calamity Jane or... I was really... I got stuck in. I'd watch old movies and just recreate entire scenes from them just to entertain myself because <laughs> I was constantly living in the... You know, in the wilderness somewhere, um, and uh, but yeah, I uh, I remember when I came, when I was quite young, my dad felt like I was a little bit shy, and he put he used to take me to Anna Cher's theatre school once once a week, I think it was, in the afternoons on a Saturday when I was really very young, but I was so shy I just couldn't speak to anyone at the beginning, and uh, he just thought that that was a good way of getting me out of my shell. And it works, I think, to an extent. I think I'm still naturally a little bit shy sometimes, but that's okay, you know. Still talk to people, that's the main thing. And, uh, uh, and my aunt as well, um, that was a real thing. He was immen immensely... My dad was very, very proud of, uh, of his aunt. Um, he had a great relationship with her. Um, she was a, uh, an actress who did a lot of stuff in the West End, and she did a bit of film... She was in uh, uh, Scott of the Antarctic, and she was in School for Husbands with Rex Harrison. And she did, uh, I think it was Under the Sycamore Tree with Alec Guinness, top billing with him, somewhere in the Old Witch, I think. We've got one of the little playbills, still really old playbill from her play. But he, um, he actually did her, he did a eulogy at her um, funeral, which was lovely. Uh, but yeah, she was, she was an amazing lady. And, she, but I remember her grabbing my hand and saying, "Now look, I, I don't want you to. I don't think that your father is putting you into this because he thought that she, you know, he was single-handedly being a sort of showbiz dad, <laughs> but not at all. He just happens to be a big fan of mine, whatever I do, which is really lovely. Yeah, um, and uh, but she just said, "No, you have to really love this. You know, you have to really love it, and you'll you'll know what I mean if you start." And I went, "Okay," and. Uh, and she did. She absolutely loved it. You know. And um, I think just the war, I think, got in the way of her career. I think uh, it just stopped everything. Just very difficult. But she, um, she was quite an inspiration. And Dad, of course, is fantastically proud. <laughs> it's ridiculous. He's always been my biggest fan. Like every, even every school play, came to see it at least four times. You know. 
um, tried to surreptitiously videotape, you know, whenever I was on stage in, in London. He was, he'd be in the audience, be caught. Very naughty. Very naughty indeed, I know. But I was slightly kind of like, well, it's good really, because at least I get to watch. Absolutely. <laughs> Although watching a stage performance on tape it never looks always, good. No, it's, you you sound like, dreadful me, and tinny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, central good drama school to get into. Oh great! Yeah, it was really. It was actually. I auditioned when I was um, twenty-one. I only did one audition that year, and um, it was for Central. And I don't know what happened to me, but I got the fear, something chronic. It just kind of consumed me in one mouthful. And my hands were trembling and my voice went all tight. And I knew that I just had bombed it completely, hadn't got it. But sat back and watched everybody else. And I, you know, it was a little moment of private reckoning. And I just thought to myself, I'm not ready for this yet. I need to do some more stuff. So I went and did some more stuff, worked for production companies and things, and did some more traveling. And um, uh, uh, well, I also rather boringly had some orthodontic treatment, which took quite, quite a long time. Um, gave me a bit of a lisp, unfortunately, so I had to wait for that to finish before I could do drama school because <laughs> they were not having it. Um, and uh, but then and then I auditioned for I think it was four when I when I was about twenty five or thereabouts, and. Um, uh, yeah, and got straight in on the same day to Central. It was a day as glorious as this, very, very warm. They had all the windows thrown open. Uh, I just remember, I think we were in room B, and um, it, was just, it was just a nice feeling. I just remember starting, getting up to start my audition and feeling really confident and really happy to be there and very, very in control of what I was doing. And I, I felt like I had a, I had a fighting chance. And um, yeah, sure enough, they called me back that day. Did a little work with the lovely Alex Hassel, who's constantly on stage all around. I keep seeing his face on the tube when I come up. I'm like, oh, there's Alex again, hello. And uh, he's the one I did my stuff with. And then, um, and then I, the, yeah, they offered me a place the same day, which is apparently quite rare, but it was, I was delighted. I couldn't stop smiling for about four or five hours after that. It was, it was the crescendo of a long time of wanting to get to that place, uh, of, of getting in. And um, it meant a huge deal to me. And I know, that, I know that they could see it. I remember catching eyes with Peter McAllister after he just, he was my acting teacher. Uh, who ended up, but he was on the panel that day. And he could just see the enormity of what it meant to me, you know. I think that's a nice, that must be a nice part of the audition process for them, getting to... to yourself, yeah. because yeah, they know what it means to get to that point. And, you're, and also then you're just on the cusp of something new and wonderful. Yeah. All of that learning and all of that fun. I had so much fun in drama school. It was hard work as well. I mean, there were times when it was frustrating for them as well. I was at times quite naughty. I was going out with a guy in a band at the time and I thought I was fiercely rock and roll. And uh, I, I would sometimes kind of uh, not be on time for classes and they'd get really cross with me. Uh, it's my new word, cross. I keep saying it all the time. I, I find it really funny. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't I, yeah, well, I but she was a rock and roll rebel. Um, <laughs> well, it comes from living in Camden. I think it sort of seeped into my bones. Well, maybe I was always that way, rock and roll rebel. I am a bit, you know. It's funny, but it always makes me laugh when people say that they think I'm really prim when they first meet me, and I'm like, really? Okay, if you say so. <laughs> <laughs> 
Um, but yeah, so uh, but so I think I was a challenge to them. But it was nice that they really had faith in me and uh, and really believed in, in my ability and really. I had some great chats with them, particularly Vanessa Ewan, who's a wonderful movement teacher, uh, whose husband Peter actually does a lot of, um, he does movement coaching on things like Planet of the Apes and uh, stuff like that. He's, he's excellent at what he does. But I've, I've had some fantastically inspirational chats with, with my teachers there. Something that I'll carry with me forever, really. Um, yeah. and any of your contemporaries uh, go on to flourish in the profession? Yes, very much so. Um, Andrew Garfield is doing incredibly well. I did my showcase with him, actually. We did a little scene from Wings from the Dove, <laughs> which was slightly awkward, actually. I'm not sure why we chose that. Because in many... We, we had initially chosen... Well, Peter actually chose a piece for us, which was uh, a, sort of a, a brother and sister piece, which would have worked much better because that was our dynamic. I was very big sisterly, and he was very little brotherly. That was our relationship throughout, throughout drama school. And... Um, but then we ended up doing this scene from Wings of the Dove where we were playing these lovers, you know. It was the end bit. <laughs> it was just so awkward. But, you know, it got... We, Kate took us both at the same time. We got agents from it, so it's fine. It all worked out well in the end. But he's doing, obviously, brilliantly well. Was, was there a feeling there that this is a guy that's going to be playing a Hollywood leading men? Andy. Yeah. Andy's always been... Um, it's funny you should say that, actually. Andy, had, a, um, in the second term, had real doubts about his ability. He had a little moment of feeling like he wasn't very good. He had a bad term when we did the restoration comedy term. It just wasn't his thing. He couldn't get a handle on it. And um, we were doing The Americans, so I was Kay Keller in All My Sons, and he was playing The Doctor. And we were in room B, and we were doing our object exercise stuff, so we'd recreated stuff. We'd had, a, like, a clock ticking, and he had a pipe that he was smoking. We were just... It's what, we, it's what we do at drama school. Like, <laughs> we create the scene of the play and then just do stuff, everyday stuff within it. So I was taking notes and, you know, furiously taking notes about his work and vice versa. But afterwards, I remember having this chat with him in room B and him just really giving himself a hard time about feeling like he wasn't where he needed to be and he wasn't as good as he thought he was. And I said... And we just, I think we'd recently seen Ben Wishaw at Hamlet, um, uh, and I said to him, Andy, you're, you have no idea. So just your potential now is really exciting. The fact that you have this kind of fearless thing in you, that you just throw yourself into anything uh, with such conviction and such commitment, you always go the extra mile, you, you know, you deserve it. And I said, you're going to be the next Ben Wishaw. And I went, no, no, scratch that. You're going to be better than Ben Wishaw. You wait and see. I had that conversation with him, and now, look at him. Yeah. Which is just richly deserved, because he's a brilliant actor, and he just goes from strength to strength. I miss him, actually. I hardly ever see him. I, the last time I saw him was Latitude, I think. Or maybe Latitude, or not that I go there very often, but um, uh, Soho House, I think I was there with a bunch of friends. I sort of got swept up. Let's go to Soho House. Okay. Went in there. Makes it sound like a hobnob there all the time. I really don't. <laughs> but he was there with his then girlfriend at the time. And uh, I think that might have been the last, that or Latitude was the last time I saw him. But he's just fierce, busy. I think this Spider Man stuff, yeah. that's tied him over there for quite a long time. I think he's over here now, actually, uh, doing something. Uh, I think he's playing a care worker or something. Or he's just filming something, or he's he's researching it. Or I'm not quite sure. But I think he is over here now. But um, who else is doing well? Ellie's doing really well. 
Ellie is, uh, is, was in a Spooks movie and um, she was in Bull, the, the uh, Mike Bartlett play. Uh, oh, she was brilliant in that. And um, she's in Cuffs, she's filming Cuffs at the moment and um, she's going from strength to strength. My lovely friend Siobhan McSweeney as well, she's doing very well. She's uh, been in the National lots, she was at the Donmar Warehouse, uh, she was in The Fall, lots of stuff on TV. You know, I'm really... Was she in the flags at the Royal Exchange? Yes, she was. Well, my, one of my best mates is Francis McGee. Ah, yes, that was brilliant. I've seen that twice. Um, so, now, again, bringing this back to the fact that most of the actors I've spoken to from this are actors that were plowing their, plowing their trade in the 60s, 70s and 80s. Mm. The heady excitement and anticipation of drama school then led to at least employment in weekly and fortnightly rep. We do not have that. No. So there's a danger that you have those three years of wow, playing all sorts of different parts and it's all very exciting. And then nothing. Mm. So, I mean, do they prepare you that at the end of this, you know, there might be a wait or nothing? Or, you know, is that part of um, what they prepare you for in terms of the business? Um, I don't know that there was all that much preparation in terms of the realities of the business. We... I mean, there were functional things, like we had, uh, there was an accountant that came in one day and t told us how we manage our business affairs and our, you know, receipts and all of that. It's <laughs> actually very handy. It is handy, actually. It was good because it was something that's part of our biz. We have to do it. Um, and the, uh, we had sort of, obviously, the, the, the telly things came in later on. We were doing just, uh, so yeah, telly, radio, we did right at the end. We just did sort of just plays the whole way through. But yeah, in terms of preparing... It was other people that kept saying the business is really hard. I don't remember our tutors ever really saying that. I think they want us to leave with the with the energy of the energy and passion of hope and all that entails. Because otherwise, if we don't have that thing to propel us, then you know, yeah. it's hard enough yeah. without having hope that you know something to drive us forward. So I, I think they probably deliberately didn't really tell us that it was as hard as it often is. Well, but it's interesting because you mentioned about being, um, you know, being told it was a love affair. You know, you have to want to do it. Mm. Um, your Twitter uh, thing, I think, describes acting as uh, a companion that spurns and cossets by turns. Is it? <laughs> spanks and cossets by turns. Spanks is even better. <laughs> Although I, I'm not sure which is better to be spanked or to be cosseted. Um, <laughs> So that, that's, uh, but I guess you have to have it. And is that, I mean, is that really true for you that it's, uh, it's, 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 it's a job of mixed emotions in a way? Um, I love the job. I absolutely love it. I, I find um, it's, it's just a little bit different. I think nowadays for actors, in terms of, um, to, to put it bluntly, the remuneration element of it. I think back in the day, you know, residual fees and everything were much higher people could live much more easily whereas now I'd say a good 80, 85% of actors I know who are still working still in the business have also got other little jobs that they have to do and cobble together and that can be difficult sometimes be quite stressful you want to try and give your all to everyone and be present but you really have to put your acting career first and I've really I've definitely upset quite a few day job bosses by having to go I'm really sorry I have to go I've got this to do and them having to get their head around uh, the fact that 
it's is and always will be my first love, and it's you know. I think in terms of not just um, bosses either, is it? It's partners, it's family. You know, for, for yeah. people in your life. To... That's hard. Oh yeah, that's hard actually. I've I've had to yeah I've had to miss birthdays, leaving dues, two weddings. Yeah, I've missed so many um, weddings. Yeah. yeah, it's hard because you 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 get this sort of label that you carry around with you a little bit, like as though you're a bit flaky or a bit selfish and a lot of negative stuff it's difficult for people that aren't in the industry to to understand what it means to have this job yeah. and that you really do have to just drop everything and go uh, whenever the job presents itself um, I think I'm sure it must be incredibly hard for for partners of actors who aren't in the industry to uh, to get their heads around that which I think is probably the reason why lots of actors seem to end up with each other because we're <laughs> sufficiently understanding of our uh, yeah. Our lifestyle, you yeah, know. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Now it's interesting because it's also it's. Um, I think one of the reasons we do it is because of it's never too late. There's always something around the corner. Yeah. You had a thing um, where you're doing a theatre job at the old Vic. Was it Flea in her ear? That's right. Where you're, yeah. The classic tale of you're the understudy mm. and you end up playing the lead. Yes. So tell me about that. Um, that was that was ferociously exciting. Um, uh, well, it was a real learning curve for me. That I. It was also because I really, really want to do a lot more theatre just generally. Um, it's hard for me, actually, because I think a lot of people look at my CV and it's quite telly-heavy. And, um, you know, I, had, I hadn't done theatre for a little while and I just with, was with a new agent at that point and I said, I'd, I'd love, dearly love to get involved with some more theatre. She said, this has come up, this opportunity. It's a tiny little part. Uh, but you're also understudying three parts in it and um, uh, would you be interested in be working with Richard Eyre be at the old Vic and I went yeah definitely and fast as well what fun and what discipline it's, it's a re- I learnt so much my head just went with all the information all the, all the comedic learning all, this kind of, all these new muscles I was exercising and watching uh, terrifically um, well-versed and disciplined comedic actors at work. I just drank it all in watching them work. Um, and also getting to cover three incredibly different parts really stretched me as an actor. I felt very muscular by the end of it, like I could tackle anything. So when, I think it was Johnny uh, Cake gave me a little bit of a heads up the night before, said, because what had happened is Lisa, who's absolutely tiny anyway, uh, was wearing a, a corset incredibly tight for her. Um, she had been complaining of a, a pain in her side for about a week that was getting worse and worse and worse. And she'd been for a, an x-ray and it was actually cracked three times in, on one rib. Uh, three, yeah, in three places. So, she, and that, but she was still. She had never gone off. She'd say, "I've never gone off. I can't. You know, I can't go off. I can't. I've got to plow on." Uh, but you know, she had her job at the Almeida that was coming up straight after a play that was written especially for her. We were all a bit worried that she might do herself any more permanent damage. I said, "I completely understand, but I'm here if you need me." She went, "No, okay." And she had faith in me because she was doing a play, another play, when we were rehearsing um, uh, "Flee in Her Ear." Uh, designed for living, so every Wednesday, yes, she was great, but every Wednesday I stepped in as Raymond anyway, so everyone knew that I was good enough to take on the role and do it well, so um, so I think she felt a little bit, I suppose, comforted, 
and for, you know, able to, to give up the reins for that part. But it was, it was literally the last 16 performances. Um, it, it, I then stepped into the role and was Raymond for the rest of the run. Um, unfortunately, lots of the theatre casting people had already been to see it. <laughs> Um, I think all of them had, in fact. Um, but I was able to get a couple of um, lovely TV casting people to come, and both of them I got work subsequently from on the strength of them having seen right. me in Flea, which is, is lovely. Work breeds work, and that's all good. Of course. But yeah, it was it was so exciting to get to be on that stage. There's something about the Old Vic Theatre as well. It's just an exhilarating space. It's got a real sense of history there. It's, it felt like an enormous privilege to be on there, holding hands with the rest of that cast and bowing alongside them. And uh, yeah, it was and it was it was lovely as well to, at the end to, to make it my own. Actually, Tom Hollander, who was playing my husband, you know, or rather I was playing his wife, um, he said that it was really nice to see over the sort of maybe three or four performances in, because obviously I was understudying. I very meticulously tried to get it as close as possible to the original while having a, my own flavour to it. it. You have to do that. I didn't realise, as an understudy, you kind of have to emulate quite closely because otherwise it throws, yeah, it throws the other actors. Else, yeah. yeah. So you, so, but, but once the part was mine and I knew going forward it was kind of unlikely that she would come back, um, I was able to make it my own. And Tom said it was so lovely watching you flourish in that part and grow into it and become... And actually, probably quite interesting for the other actors find who would then find something else for them, you know, towards the end of the run. Actually, gives them a new energy because. Well, actually, that's what Fee Glascott said to me. Fee Glascott, who played Lucienne, grabbed my hand as we came off the back of our backstage after our big letter scene, and she grabbed my hand. She said, "Emma, it's so lovely to have this, to have this whole fresh perspective, and do this for someone else." And she said, I'm, "I've got to be honest with you. I was terrified when I heard <laughs> out that." that Lisa was going off because really this is my big scene and the idea of doing it with someone new who hadn't done it before was really worrying me but actually it's great and, and it was so lovely to have that feedback from her and it was, it was yeah a privilege to play with them all those actors they were just we had so much fun I don't think I've laughed as much in my life in fact as when I was working there um, and it was just so grand as well. It was such a glamorous life. We were doing things like having dinner parties on stage with people like the Archbishop of Canterbury. It was so nuts. <laughs> it's like, what is this? Um, there were big sort of, I don't know what they are. They're just sort of special events that they hold, you know. So, and, and parties, obviously there was the press night, but other parties as well we were... I mean, I had, you know, a Christmas party at um, Sally's house, who owns the Old Vic, and that was weird, just hobnobbing with amazing exciting people and thinking what is I can't believe I'm here you know <laughs> it's really this is nice but I think this is why actors go mad isn't it because yes when you're hot or when you're doing something mm. you know the doors of all everywhere is open and then three weeks later you're, you're I mean not allowed to anymore but you'd be on the dole you know or yeah you know, and it is and that's that's what that's the magic, isn't it? I know, but it is that. But I was saying to a friend of mine uh, reasonably recently, I was talking about a job that I did in Paris, um, and it was, it was a telly job. Uh, Joe, Jean Leno, it was all very exciting. Um, but they put me up in the most glorious hotel right next to the Jardins de Tuileries. I like I had my own living room and two tellies and balconies that opened out looking to the Eiffel Tower. It was so ridiculous, and I felt like a movie star or something. And then the next week, when the job was finished, I was back doing my usual jobs and thinking, God, this is this is this is a crazy life. 
But what an exciting one, though, because otherwise I might not have gotten to live in Paris for a month, you know, getting to explore that city and everything that has to offer. I've really travelled to some exciting places, you know, Warsaw. I got to go to Warsaw, it was just a commercial, but, but fantastic. I got to really see a lot of that city, those beautiful sculptures they've got, you know, of the war, of the soldiers, um, and, you know, and the, and the, the central square, and pierogi, I discovered pierogi, there's beautiful little dumplings. You know, I've, I've got to travel to some really exciting, wonderful places through this job. And uh, it's just an extra element of wonder and magic to something that I already love. Well, and you mentioned um, um, that your TV CV is incredibly helpful. I think especially this day and age with so little being made. You've, um, so, so what have been the highlights? Of, and, 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 and I mean, what, what's the differences at, at doing a telly job to a theatre job nowadays? And, and why is it, do you think, that you've, you've, you've done you know, as much as you have? Because you've, you've got a good, good, good telly CV. Yeah, um, I don't know. I suppose uh, if you've done a nice job with people at some point, then... Uh, the people keep you in mind for future stuff. You know, if you get on well with people on set, um, if you put in good work, you, d you know, do your best, then I suppose it's like a drumbeat that carries on into the future and that leads you forward into other stuff. Word of mouth, I guess. Any other freelance job would be the same. Yeah. People recommend you, um, or people see your work and, and think, yeah, she might be nice for this. Let's see her and see what she's got. Um, you know, but highlight, I got... So I often do jobs and I think, oh no, this is my favourite one. <laughs> I feel a bit like uh, somewhat fickle, <laughs> changing my allegiance from job to job to job. I think the ones that I love the most are the ones that have really challenged me and I felt that are very outside of myself, very different from how I am naturally. Those and are the non rock ones and roll chicks. Well, actually, no, <laughs> one of my favourite ones was definitely a rock and roll chick. She looked the part for sure. She. Um, uh, that was Katie Wallace and Taggart, funnily enough. That was, I loved that part. And actually, they, I was in episode one, but they wrote me into episode six, which was immen immensely flattering, uh, because they loved the dynamic, the energy between myself and John Meekie's character, Robbie Ross. They just wrote a whole storyline for us, which is kind of, I think, the best compliment you could possibly get as an actor, when, when they actually write you back in because they like what you did, you know. Actually, I've just done a job. I don't know if it'll happen, we'll see, but, um, but I've just done a job that the writer was very enthused about what I'd done with the character. She described a scene that she'd watched The Rushes and she said it was electric. She said, I, I, I love it. We'll, if, we'll see if we can find a way of writing her back into season two if we go to season two. And, um, and she said, well, to, to second series. And, um, and she said uh, she had this idea of my character being... Um, like uh, Moriarty to the main character Sherlock and I went yes that sounds good to me oh well fingers crossed <laughs> we'll keep our fingers crossed for that yeah uh, oh well look I've way exceeded the time I said I'd spend oh. uh, talking to you we've got time for you to do your thing but I, my god that's flown by so um, unfulfilled average if we reconvene when I'm doing my 75 years of Doctor Who podcasts <laughs> and I say Emma will you come and have tea with me and tell me what would you like to tell me that you've done in, in 25 years you know would, would be a happy Emma Campbell Jones what would be a happy Emma Campbell Jones just career I suppose you what, just want anything to know, you just like? anything I like well well I've always been incredibly excited by the Donma I'd love to be the Donma one day I'd love to be the National one day I'd love to be in some really gorgeous TV dramas 
maybe maybe a period piece or two be nice as well I'd love to I've just come back from working in Devon I'd love to maybe find a way to to live outside of London and, and commute in here because that time away was really quite special and I think I, I've realised that that's perhaps what my soul needs a bit of nature to feed it I think I might find my way by the sea I might, I might be I might be, uh, yeah, inviting you to tea one day in my house by the sea. We'll Ooh, see. Well, definitely. But in the meantime, you've kindly given your time. Um, so what charity would you like the listeners to donate to? Because they don't pay for this. So please dig deep for Emma's charity, which is? Uh, Denville Hall. Um, Denville Hall was a charity that Lala Ward was talking to me about when I did the Big Finish uh, thing with her. But also because that is where my lovely great-aunt Diana ended her days. She was there for the last few years of her life, uh, along with her husband, Mervyn Johns. And she was down at Churchill. And, uh, and they were beautifully looked after and, and you know, respected and cared for. And I think that can only be a good thing. So that. Well, I'm anticipating actually um, doing the 75th um, uh, year, uh, you know, Doctor Who, etc. I will be broadcasting from Denville Hall myself. Because, uh, I suspect I'll be knackered by then. Yes. Um, oh, and of course, we haven't. What we haven't mentioned before the final question is that, of course, you are a distant relation of a Doctor Who icon. Oh yes, yes, the lovely Richard Franklin. Yes, he's my dad's cousin, <laughs> which is really nice. And it was lovely to bump into him at Galley One in February of last year. Um, he's a very kind and gentle soul and I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing more of him really I, he remembers lots of conversations that we had when I was a child and I, I wish I could remember them more than I do <laughs> so it'll, it'll be a thing but it's now. in the blood it's yes the blood. it is in the blood well and the final thing is that this was um, convened nominally to celebrate 50 years of Doctor Who so what's your message to the Doctor Who fans who listen to this podcast uh, uh, carry on with your passion love it unashamedly it's great. Emma Campbell Jones, for your time and a fascinating conversation. Thank you very much. Thank you too. <laughs> Hope that was all right for you. Yeah. That was great. I didn't realise we'd done that long. That was amazing. <laughs>
Doctor. Romana mentioned a doctor. Romana? Where is she? Conduct Romana to the altar. She is to be granted an audience with Antigo. Disobey the will of Makina is forbidden. In that case, I wouldn't dream of keeping it waiting. She claimed to have detailed knowledge of time travel. She did? So perhaps you would care to share that knowledge with me? Oh, no. The Doctor didn't agree to help Embry, did he? Big finish. We love stories. <laughs>